0: Welcome in to Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast. Yes, it's been a while. It's been a few weeks since we've gotten together, but there hasn't been any baseball news. And yet, today, May 11th, 2020, day, I don't even know what it is, probably 806, or at least it feels that way, of the quarantine, of the coronavirus quarantine, Bob Wankel and I are back together to discuss news that has broken about the potential return of baseball as soon as the beginning of July, Independence Day weekend. Bob Wankel is here with me as always here on Crossed Up. And Bob, is this an exciting day, or are we just kind of like, ah, let's wait and see what comes next out of this?
1: Well, you know what? It it drug me out of my gambling hole, uh, and I actually wrote a story today. So you know, it must be serious. You know, that's that's the way I would look at it. Yeah, I mean, listen, man, it's it's nice to have a. a a pertinent physical something that you can grasp onto and say okay we have movement here we have some news it's not hypothetical it's not well maybe kind of possibly we have a, a situation where the owners of major league baseball are going to move forward and they are going to bring a proposal to the players association to take the initial steps to bring back baseball sometime this summer and I don't know about you. I I sort of have mixed feelings about what I'm seeing after today. I think it's great that we are taking these initial steps and that there's a, a timeline in place. But I thought that the science was going to be the thing that was going to be the primary roadblock in bringing back baseball this summer. And it turns out that it might not be the science. It might actually be the money. And so you know that's kind of where we start here it's it's great to have something to talk about it's great to have news you and i you know we we talk about it we text back and forth and it's like do, do you want to do a podcast do you want like what do you want to do Do you want to talk about vince velasquez is the fifth starter right now like <laughs> I, you know we don't have a season for two months we don't have spring training right now it, it's hard to do that right. and and i credit the other podcasts and i credit some of the other sites like you know Matt Breen and the guys the Daily News and the Inquirer they do their podcast and they they look back through old games and stuff like that like that's awesome but they're already doing that and so they're, like that's
0: I, also their full-time job
1: that's but. it's what they do but like I don't I don't want to get together with you and talk about Kevin Sefsick in the 97 Phillies you know <laughs> what i mean like i just i don't they they are doing a better job of that and that would be stealing their stick so i look at that and oh, by the way actually now that i I quickly hit on that, do you follow the account, the guy that that's been tweeting out the day by day recaps of the ninety three Phillies?
0: <laughs> no, that's uh, awesome dude. It's an
1: awesome, awesome account. Uh, i'll I'll find it in a minute for you, okay. Um, so he goes day by day. So like yesterday, Mother's Day, we're recording Monday night, and oh, that's remember, the Slam Duncan. Yeah, Mariano Duncan, the Grand Slam in the eighth inning off of Lee Smith, and he tweets out the video, and he's he's posting stat lines, daily stat lines for each guy as the season progresses. He tweets out uh, old archives from the Philadelphia Daily News, the covers, um, at, you know, after each game. It's it's awesome. It's a great account. He actually uh, his his tag is uh, at two thousand eight Philz. It's P H I L Z, but he changed his name to nineteen ninety three Phillies. What this guy used to do was he would tweet out the 08 season in progression, day by day by day. But because of the the you know quarantine and because there's no baseball going on, he's he moved back to ninety three now. And so he just posts like one or two highlights of each game. It's it's really a really it's it's a great great account. So if you're a Phillies fan and you're starving for baseball content, definitely check that out.
0: That's awesome. I, I, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, Mother's Day '93. I'm 19 years old at that time, and we were getting ready to go to a, a family dinner, and my dad and I were in the basement, and we used to have a, a coffee table with a. With a glass top and Mariano Duncan hits that home run and I jumped up and I kicked the 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 coffee table as I jumped up and it kind of went up in the air a little bit towards where my dad was and he was so excited when he he kind of was pushing it back down as it as it was coming up toward him in his excitement and the glass <laughs> shattered. My mother's awesome. My mother lost it. Like she That's was awesome. like she's just yelling down in the basement. What the hell is going on down there? But we were going crazy when Duncan hit that grand slam off of I was
1: uh, 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 I was in second grade and <laughs> and this isn't to be like oh you're old and I'm young but I was in second grade and you know how that is like yeah do I remember the Phillies before that? Absolutely, I do. Of course I do. But that was like the first moment where I I saw something and I said this is awesome. You know, and like you hear Harry Callis' call, you see the fans going crazy and they were off to such a good start that season at that point. I mean, they had to be like 23 and 7 or something like that and he hits that grand slam and you just knew. Like you knew that that team was different. It wasn't just that they ran off all of those wins in the beginning of the season the way they did, but it was just Like, how they won the games. Like, every night was crazy. Like, somebody, it was a different guy every single night doing something unbelievable that would propel them. Like, it was the Milt Thompson robbing a home run at San Diego early in the year. You know, like, it it was just something every night. And a quick little story about that. You know what I really remember about that season? This is when I I truly became a, a Phillies fan. It was towards the end of May, and they were on PHL 17 at the time. But when they weren't on PHL 17, they were on PRISM. And, you know, every time they were on PRISM, like, we didn't have PRISM. So I couldn't watch a lot of the games. And, you know, I was getting, like, straight A's on my second grade report card. And it was getting towards the end of the year. And I was, like, in tears the one night because they were on PRISM and couldn't watch the game. So my parents were like, hey, are you going to watch the Phillies tonight? And I'm like, I can't. They're on PRISM. You know, like, and I'm all upset. Well my dad goes... Why don't why don't you try to turn it on? And I'm like, we I can't, you know, like we don't we don't have it. And he's like, just try to turn it on. So we turn it on, and it's the Phillies, and they're playing the Expos at home, and the first game, Pete Incaviglia hits a grand slam, and I'm watching it on Prism. It was awesome. So and your like,
0: your pa- your parents got you Prism to because watch it well phillies. in school yeah, to watch the yeah. Ph- that's awesome that's yeah. pretty cool
1: and like from there on you know and i'm thinking like it's always going to be like this you know like little <laughs> eight-year-old me is like baseball's <laughs> fun and the phillies are good and <laughs> you know little did i know after october of 1993 that i would be eating shit for 11 years or 12 <laughs> <laughs> years or <laughs> so, that's a great
0: story though yeah, yeah. so
1: yeah, i mean I- so yeah like that stuff's great like that's that's awesome but you know you and I were like, come on, give us something that we can really talk about here, you know, give us something in, in 2020 that we can kind of digest and, and break down. So today was a good day that way.
0: Yeah, no, it, it was. And, and yeah, I guess we do have to dive into the, um, uh, the financial end of things that could be the hiccup here. But before we do, I want to say this. And you know, I'm a traditionalist, right? You know, I like things the old way. You know, I like things. I don't like to see the, the potential changes in baseball. They're talking about bringing the DH to the National yep. League. I'm on board. Are as you? As, it, as long as it gives me baseball.
1: Yeah, yeah. okay. So you're willing to make all concessions I'm, and sacrifices I'm willing now. to make
0: the concessions. <laughs> To bring yeah. the game back, yep yeah, they're, yeah whatever, they're, whatever they whatever they want to do, right? I wrote well.
1: the story today. I was like, you know, I love. It's the fourth inning. It's first and second, two outs, and you got your starting pitcher up there. He's hitting 0-91. He's just <laughs> flailing away helplessly. Like yeah. I love that. I really do. I think it's. I'm with you. Like I'm not like new school in that way. Like I like the analytics, and I I kind of have have taken to the the new wave of baseball, but. I'm with you in the sense that I I love the the pitcher coming to the plate. I like the strategy, the way it forces the manager's hand. Um, but I, I I hear you, and I do think that this is kind of like an inevitable change. This has been coming now for a couple of years, and and I think I think it's permanent. Would you agree yeah. with that? Like oh, I don't yeah. think we're ever going back.
0: No, because if the if the players' association agrees to it, it's a it's a job, it's a new job, right? For for for, for what 15 players um, that they probably wouldn't have had otherwise and uh yeah they're going to just basically sit there and and say well you got to keep this in moving forward and i think that i think that the owners want to keep it in i don't think that they i think that they decided long ago that this is something that they wanted and this is the perfect opportunity to get it included so they're going to expand the playoffs to 14 teams which okay whatever i mean i'm in whatever you want whatever you want to do for this season. And and what I want to do later in the show,
1: (laughs) what I want to do later in the show is kind of, I think where we should start is kind of say like, all right, what do we think is going to happen here? Like, are we going to get to a starting point of baseball this season? And then from there, once we kind of talk about the, the financial aspect of it, and then the health and safety aspect, then maybe why don't we take a look at what is on the table in terms of a proposal and, and then see how, and, and, How does that translate? What does it mean for the Phillies in this season?
0: Yeah. So from the financial end of things, and this is just my amateur perspective, but you tell me. I mean, you've been around these guys a little bit more than I have. But I'm of the mindset that this, even though that the players' association is kind of pushing back against this a little bit, and, and the, what I should say they're pushing back against is that they want there to be uh, the owners' pr- proposal is going to have there be a prorated salary based on revenue, um, which is no different than a salary cap. I mean, it's basically what it is. Okay, right. um, it's just a, it's just a fancy way of hiding it um, and to kind of show it that way. But that's basically what they're getting toward, um, and the players don't want it. Um, I think, though, I think ultimately the players will cave in in this sense that they will say, we'll do this for this year because it's such unique circumstances. It's just for 80 games or 82 games, whatever they say, whatever they decide that the season is going to be. Right. And it's just for this. But this is going to create an even greater chasm between the Players Association and the and the league that once the cba expires at the end of the 2021 season we're looking at a strike or a lockout or something where 2022 we don't have baseball in the spring
1: I, I could see that i i think it's almost like a so i look at this a, at the highest level i go baseball is a sport and i love baseball more than anybody you know obviously we're, we're fans of the game people tell us that the sport's broken i think that's bullshit you know like i i still love baseball i love it just as much as i always have i still think it's the same product by and large you know maybe the games get drug out a little bit but i don't tech i don't usually like to listen to the criticisms of, of the common folk when it comes to baseball but i think that you know i would concede that that it's lagging behind in terms of popularity in relation to football and the nba and you have a situation here where baseball can come back and present a form of normalcy to a country that desperately needs a form of normalcy during this time period. And so from that level, I just cannot possibly see if we get to the point where it's, it's deemed safe to play that they don't come back. I mean, right. could you imagine... You talk about the the harm that was done during the strike of 1994 and what that did to baseball and how it struggled in the mid-'90s until the Maguire-Sosa year brings things back. If these teams, if these owners and these players can't get on the same page in the middle of this pandemic when the country's looking to baseball to come back and, and give us something to cling to, I just... I feel like the harm would be irreversible at that point.
0: Yeah, no, they, they, that's why I think ultimately there's going to be, uh, you know, I, I, I think that the owners were smart in putting this out the way they did now, saying, hey, look, here it is. We want to play July 1st, take it, you know, and the Players Association, if they try and fight it, then they look bad, right? And,
1: and not only do they look bad, but the, the other aspect of this is there's going to be a lot of guys that want to play, right? Like, yeah. there's guys that just want to get out there. They, they, Feel like, hey, I need to start my careers or I'm in a good spot. I think I'm going to perform well this season. Like, let's get it going. So I think you're going to have that groundswell. But the other aspect of it is, too, the owners have the leverage in the sense that do you want a little bit of money or do you want no money? You know, and at the end of the day, like, I do – in a way, I feel for the players because they made the concession of, hey, we'll go for the prorated salary based on the amount of games played. Like, they came to that agreement already. But the problem now is with the additional revenue streams not being there at the gate in terms of merchandise, concessions, and then ticket sales, the owners want them to absorb an additional hit. And I understand why the players are basically saying, buzz off, we're not interested in that. Like, I get the player's stance, but at the end of the day, what what do they have to stand on? You know, and that's why I think that the players ultimately will budge.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that you might see – the one good thing is, is that they don't have to really agree to this for the next, you know, whatever, few weeks, right? So I think there's going to be a little cat and mouse. I think that the players will push back a little bit just to see if the owners give in a little bit on the And, they, and they will. I mean, Tony Clark yeah.
1: basically came out already and was like, no – You know, I mean, so I think that there is going to be a little bit of a back and forth element to this, but would you agree that the owners are likely to, that whatever they settle upon is likely to side more closely with the owners than it will with the players?
0: Yes, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just going to. And and the players understand, and they, you know, they realize where they're at. But that's why I said, like, I I think that they're going to look at this and say, we're going to, we're going to suck this up and we're going to take a shitty deal for, 2020 just to get the game back out there for the fans and for themselves too, but for the fans, Okay. But if the owners don't show some gratitude for that and, and start giving, you know, when they start negotiating the new CBA, start to give the players some of the things that they want, there's going to, they're going to walk away for the 20 before 2022. And that's, that's what I think it's ultimately going to happen. And I think that baseball is going to take a big hit then, um, uh, off of this so i think that there are some far-reaching problems that are going to come out of this and it's just you know it's it's going to be about greed and and who's more greedy that's what it's going to come down to
1: and here i thought that the primary roadblock to having a baseball season this summer was going to be the coronavirus and the health and safety concerns surrounding it and it you know, I guess we're in agreement that they will ultimately clear this financial hurdle, uh, assuming that they do. I mean, this is this has been the thing that we've talked about now for for weeks and and months at this point. You know, I guess, I guess my sense is, will there be Major League Baseball this summer? And and my guess would be yes, that there will be. I I kind of want to take your pulse though. Do you believe that they're going to be able to start? And and get to completion without incident.
0: Yeah, but well, well, let me let me back up. When you say without incident, what does that mean? Does that just mean?
1: Uh, All right, let me uh, because I think
0: without a meaningful stoppage. You know, like are we going to look at a a week
1: to two week delay mid season because because things are hitting the fan again here? Or you know, you and I have like kind of like we've talked a little bit like off you know not off the record but like through text messages and group messages right. and like i kind of know where you're at on this whole thing like i would say like on a scale of 1 to 10 like if if 10 is Kyle Scott like <laughs> you're you're like a like a 2 maybe a 3 like i know that and not that you're downplaying the significance of what's happening right. you know i don't want to give anybody the the wrong impression but no. you you seem to be more on along the lines of like hey it's it's time to you know, get yeah. going here. We
0: did our we did our part, and we still have people that we have to protect. But at the same time, the the, the majority of us can get back to doing what we're doing. Um, and and yeah, and I understand baseball has to come back with restrictions, and you know, you know, you start if it has to start with no fans. That's fine. Maybe by September, you can put you know five thousand people in the crowd. Who knows? Um, you know, but whatever the case might be, I, I yeah, I do I do think it 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 will happen. I think it will start beginning of July. Um, and looks like Trevor Ploof was correct, despite the fact that everybody tried to make him out to be uh, uh, somebody who was, you know, just yeah. It was to a big prom- win for him. Promote his own thing, but yep. I mean, I, look, I believe him. I I, 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 the guy didn't ever come across to me as someone who, you know, was just kind of going to throw something out there and hope it sticks. Like this guy, this is a guy who was in the league as recently as what a year and a half ago. Like, yeah. Uh, he, you know, when he says there are people telling me that this is what they're going to do, I'm going to listen to him, right? If he's wrong, then all right, fool me once, shame on me, right? You know, um, but uh, so, I, yeah, we're going to start July 1st or July whatever that weekend is, 4th of July weekend. Um, and if there's a case, like if somebody gets tested and they got coronavirus, oh, they got COVID-19. They're going to be you know, removed, they're going to be isolated, but I think the league will go on. I don't think you're going to see one person, one player gets it shut down for two weeks and hope everything's okay. Like I don't think that's the path that they're going to go. I think that they're going to look at it as, okay, let's try and make sure no one else gets it. Um, I would think that you can even have a handful of cases of before before you would really have to shut it down again. I, guess I, I don't my, think one or two or three are, are enough to say let's stop again.
1: The thing that I kind of look at when you see the preliminary reports of what the season may look like, do you think that all do you think that every major league ballpark is going to be open? Because this is such a state to state thing right now. Like, I guess that's my my one concern. Like, are they going to blend the primary ballparks with some combination of spring training sites or? are they going to come to a decision and say, like, hey, listen, we need each individual gover- governor, you know, and, and state government to sign off and say, like, Major League Baseball's back. We're going to allow this. That, that's like one element of this that I, I kind of remain a little bit un- unsure about. Now, if you're not taking a gate receipt and, and the fans are not a part of the equation, I guess it doesn't really matter. But it, I, I guess I'm just kind of waiting to see what this is going to look like. The logistics of this still seem a little bit, um, you know, unclear to me at this point.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of logistics that that we don't know. And, and it, you know, we're going to sit here and say, oh, they're complicated. And they are. But the owners would not have made a proposal without all these logistics lined up and determined how they were going to resolve them right and and
1: that's that's kind of what i'm curious to see i know that there was kind of a hint that that maybe some of these spring training sites might be involved and you know we'll get into this a, a little bit more in detail as it pertains to the phillies later on but you look at the the reports right now teams are going to play within their division um maybe a little bit more so than they they otherwise would and you look at the travel there that's involved, and if the, the Phillies and Mets, not a lot of travel in that regard. Phillies and, and Nationals, obviously, not a lot of travel there. But you get to Atlanta and, and specifically Miami, and that's, that's a fairly substantial trip. And if you go across a lot of the divisions, you know, more so, I guess maybe more so in the NL West and some of the AL divisions. Um, the NL Central is a little bit more, um, the proximity is a little bit more close there there are still uh, substantial travel implications in this in this thing as well and and so i just I, I guess i i'm just curious to see what this is all going to look like before i say like yes the the feasibility of this is is quite high actually like I, I just don't know quite yet what we're looking
0: at for me to say like yeah this won't be a problem well there's going to be travel more than just what you just said i mean because the the other part of it is clustering in your non-division games against the other Eastern Division teams from the other league. Right. So, now, it's like is that what they're doing? Like, uh, so yeah. are they
1: going to eliminate coast-to-coast trips at this point? Like, are yeah. We, so you're, yeah. you're
0: basically looking at an 82-game schedule where a, a majority, two-thirds of them, are going to be within your division and the other third are going to be against the teams from the American League for, for the Phillies, American League East. So they'll probably have two three-game series each against Boston, New York, Yankees. Uh, uh baltimore um toronto and tampa
1: so in the at east then the, the issue then becomes tampa bay and and toronto
0: well toronto is going to be an interesting thing regardless because uh, their international travel is not allowed right so the border's closed so or, or do
1: you hit tampa bay and then go play toronto and dunedin for three you know like I,
0: yeah so is the, so the question will be is toronto playing in dunedin Or is Toronto becoming a vagabond until the border can open and they play, you know, they'll share a home field with, you know, with somebody else and and just play their games at that park? I mean, what would be the closest stadium to them? I mean, probably Pittsburgh. Probably, yeah. I mean, if you're going Major League yeah, Stadium, I guess so. Yeah, if you're going Major League Stadium, I mean, Pittsburgh, it's it's a toss-up probably between Pittsburgh and New York, right? I mean, for for Toronto, I mean, they could technically. There is a minor league stadium just across the border in Buffalo, so they could be in the United States um, and be relatively close to to home. But it's you know, it's not a Major League Stadium, but it's got yeah, Major League dimensions. So, I mean, the, the, Buffalo,
1: uh, the Buffalo Bisons, is that, yeah. is that who they'd be yeah. playing at? Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, so that's – I mean, to me, I mean, that's the – they're the one team that I, I don't have a real feel for what's going to happen. Right. But sure, I mean, they can go to Dunedin. They can play in Dunedin, and then, you you know, when you have to do your South Florida road trip, you play Toronto, Tampa, and the Marlins nine games in a row, yeah. right? And you just do it down there.
1: It's I mean, it's going to be interesting. Um, I, I – I guess my sense, like I've kind of wavered. I got to tell you, like I don't know if this makes me a fraud, um, but you know, I talked to Matt Breen a couple weeks ago, and I at the time we had done that podcast, um, you know, talking to him, he was kind of like, I don't, I don't really see a path back right now, and we were at the height of this uh, at the time, and I kind of agreed with him. I said, like, I just don't know that if they're going to be able to overcome every one of these obstacles in order to do this, but now. Looking at it and the fact that the news came down today the way it did, I mean, it looks like the intent to proceed is there. And I think that the intent and, and the, you know, getting the proposal on the table is 60 is percent of it. it. It is. And so the fact that that's there leads me to believe now that, you know, I'm kind of wavering where I'm like, yeah, all right, I, I guess they are going to try this. Like, I expect there to be baseball in early July. I do now. Yeah. I'm not quite as confident as you are the fact that, that, that they're going to be able to start and then stop without, like I said, without incident, without major disruption. Like, I just don't know, you know, and, and that's the thing. And I, I guess from more of like a taking a step back and, and forgetting baseball for a minute, it just seems like every day you you kind of you sit down and you hear something positive and You say, OK, we're making progress on this front. Numbers are declining. The, the curve is slowing you medicines, vaccines there's there's a lot of positive out there but then for every positive thing it's just like oh wait though, wait until you see september when it comes back and it's even worse and you're like jesus christ like you can't feel good about anything right now for for more than 10 minutes
0: except for the fact that i again and i'm in the minority when i when i say this but i and i've said it from day one when i was arguing with with kyle scott in our group chat i say it today and i'll say it in september the fact is, is that we're what we got to look at is that just getting infected is not the worst thing in the world. I'm sure you know a few. Do you know? I mean, just ask you. You know people who've had COVID. I, I know a couple. Yeah, actually, yeah. I, I know three people that have that have had it. Two of which uh, had a hell of a time with it, and the third was you know not not so bad. Right. I I, I know four people. Okay. Um, and they're all recovered. They're all healthy. Um, and it's because. They are normally, normally, every day, healthy individuals. So yes, we have to, we're in a situation where, you know, there's going to be more infections. There's going to be some, sadly, some more deaths. But if you go by the data, the deaths are occurring, A, in nursing homes, which this is not going to affect baseball, and B... Um, with people, majority of people who have comorbidities and not just one, two or more. Right. So two or more conditions that are causing them to die. Okay. That COVID is just, you know, they just can't take any more and COVID puts it over the top. Right. So, so that really puts your death rate. I mean, we're saying, oh, the death rate's 3%. Well, yeah, that's if you include everybody. But if you go back to just your normal, healthy individuals, your death rate is probably 0.003, okay? Which is what, which is what, and, and the data's out there. This is not, I'm not just throwing numbers against a wall. This is legitimate data. This is coming from the same sources that everybody else is looking at, okay? So if that's the case and, and that that data is correct and whether whether you want to, you know, there are people who don't want to believe the data. There are people who do, you know, uh, swear by it, whatever. Who, whatever your reason, rationale is. But let's just say for kicks that that data is correct. Professional athletes... Getting together to play baseball games, which a are is probably the one sport that has the of the four majors that has the least contact, right? Least least body to body contact. Yeah, you could slide hard into a base or something and maybe bump into a guy, but for the most part, you're not really hitting anybody. You're, you're you know you're kind of distant in and of itself. The odds of of you of putting yourself at risk, putting a player at risk, or people involved at the at the game at risk are really, really low. And so, therefore, if you get a couple of guys who get sick, well, they got sick. It's no different than if a guy gets sick during a normal season at that point because they're not, they're not going to die unless they have serious medical issues, in which case then they shouldn't be playing, right? I mean, so that, I think that's where we're – that's what needs to be determined here, Bob, and I think that's how it has to really kind of break down. And once it is, once that's figured out, and once the league knows, you know, hey, we can have these people at our games, but these people can't be there, and they know, every city knows that, I think they're fine. And I think that they'll get through it.
1: Yeah, I mean I- – I'll be completely honest with you. You know how, like, when you know something and you feel like you really know something, you have conviction behind it, and and when people present a side to you and go, "Listen, I hear you," but like, I know this. I I feel strongly about it, and I'm I'm where I'm at. Yeah. When I my experience with this entire thing, and I think I'm like a lot of people, you know, I I'd like to say that I'm I'm pretty well informed and that I can evaluate a, a situation and look at all sides of it and, and generally not go into things with bias or, you know, put the blinders on with with this thing thing in, in general I, I just have been so i feel like i've been on a seesaw like what you just said makes complete sense to me and i, I don't even disagree with what you just said it's not it's right. not that i disagree with you it's just that you know i i hear you and and i in a moment i i kind of just i'm like easily persuaded i go yeah all right makes sense well you want me to be right I, and i want you to be right of course right? I need to be right but sure. like tomorrow you know i'm gonna i'm gonna listen to something i'm gonna read something and i'm gonna say Oh, yeah I mean I I know what you said but but jeez yeah <laughs> you know so I'm, so go, I'm I mean, gonna I'm gonna read that that you know college football might be in jeopardy and, and I'm just talking about it as it relates to sports like listen in the sure. grand scheme of things like sports is pretty inconsequential here but like you know I'll read like well the, the, the reason why college football won't happen in 2020 and I'm like well Anthony you know I, I heard you last night but
0: <laughs> yeah but it might not so the difference with college football though and college sports in general, is, is yeah right, listen yeah
1: like i'm just throwing that out there as no, like but an I'm example just, but, but yeah i mean like listen c- college is in totally different beasts like there there are i think there's bigger roadblocks with college than, yeah you, than, you
0: can't you can't sit there and say we can bring college athletes back but you can't bring students back sure i mean so they, there there is another real world component to it that doesn't really exist in the world of professional sports so i think that's why the pros have a little bit easier path back And whether, you know, and yeah, sure, it would suck if college football is canceled or move. Although I read something today where they're talking about making it a spring sport, which is, you know, that would be interesting. Um, But nevertheless, I mean, that I think the pro sports is going to find a way through. Look, they're they're all they're all plowing through the NFL. The NFL is kicking off on September 10th. Like It's happening. (laughs) And The best part about the NFL, this is this is how arrogant and cocky the NFL is they could have with this schedule put a schedule together where the first four weeks were your are yeah, playing the Steelers, games. Eagles are right. sti-
1: playing Steelers week so the, one now nah, division games and they don't care screw it they, they went games. screw it we're going to have <laughs> yeah. our regular schedule and that's it we're going to make it work yeah. and you know we'll see you on Thursday
0: the 10th and then uh, <laughs> Sunday the 13th for the full yeah. slate be there right? I mean, they're going to do it that's they, they're confident that and that's the sport of all sports That's the one that's got to, to me, has to be the most dangerous. Yeah. Right? For as far as transmission of this illness, of this virus. Right? So, and and they're just like, yeah, no problem. The NHL, I'll tell you that they're, you know, everybody I've talked to, they're coming back. They're going to play. And they're going to play this, you know, this summer, whether it starts mid-July or late July and into August and September. They're going to play and the nba while it's trying to you know so show that it's a little bit more socially conscious oh we don't know they're going to come back and they're going to play too that's a, you know you got soccer the bundesliga they're back now i mean and that's the, one of the biggest leagues in europe i mean they're all, all yeah, the so i have i have a, I have a question for back. you i
1: have a question so like we've we've sat through the last two months no sports and and now they're slowly making their way back like do you it goes without saying, like if you have all of these events going on from the middle of July through October, like all these postponed events, like the Masters and the Kentucky Derby and hockey and basketball and baseball's regular season and like it's gonna be from a sports perspective, it's gonna be awesome, right? Like the slate is just gonna be so crunched with marquee events. It's it's gonna be great. I do have one question though, and We'll kind of circle back and, and focus more in on baseball in a moment. but do you find or do you think that the absence of fans because like you you're more on the optimistic side of the coronavirus and its impact on sports but like I don't think even the most optimistic people right now would tell you that that having fans in the stands in 2020 is likely. is it like is it possible? Maybe? but like I wouldn't say it's likely. Do you agree with that?
0: I, I think I think every one of these sports is going to start without fans at all. Um, and I think that there's a real possibility that they conclude these seasons without fans at all. I think that they will get, they will get to a point where that point is, whether it's the early fall uh, or maybe later, closer to the holidays. But I think they will get to a point where we can have, you know, Partial gatherings in these buildings, and what I mean by that, maybe twenty-five to thirty percent capacity. Okay,
1: so let me stop you right there and ask this question then, because th- th- this is still not even where I really want to go with this. If that's the case, you have any idea how they may do that? Like, I mean, what are they going to do? No. A lottery? Like, come on yeah. in and and be one of six thousand people in the fifty thousand seat capacity stadium? You know, yeah, is yeah. that
0: is that the way they're going to do this? They'll probably offer it to season ticket holders first and say, you have the option, opt in. To be to be go into this draw for seats, you know, or or if you're afraid and don't want to come down, you can opt out. You could say, "No, nope, I'll just hold off and wait till next season." Okay, fine. Um, so they'll, I think they'll give season ticket holders that option first. I do, and I think that the lottery is probably the way that makes the most sense. Um, but yeah, I I, do, I think that that's what you're looking at. I think that you're looking at no more than you know, five thousand people, six thousand, depending on the size of the of the stadium, um, five six thousand people. All right, that's, so that's
1: wh- where where I really want to go with this then is, like I said, Kentucky Derby, the Masters, hockey, basketball, baseball, the football kicking off in September, awesome, okay? We're going to just be inundated with, with sports. What effect do you think, for, from a viewing standpoint, will the absence of fans have on the product? And so I'll ask this two different ways, or I guess with, with two different parts to the question. Number one, do you think that it's going to take away from the viewing experience? Like I think about the Eagles playing at, at Washington week one and they're just not being anybody in the stands and, like, the crowd to me, like, when you get into college football, like, the pageantry, the energy of the crowd is, is such a part of the viewing experience. Like, as a college football guy, like, I love college football, follow it very closely. I don't even have a team. Like, I'm not like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I'm a big Penn State guy. Like, I don't really care. I don't typically care who wins. But just the whole vibe and energy of it to me is part of the, the thing, you know, part of the reason that it's so compelling. So you strip that away is it going to have a negative impact on our viewing experience? And that, that's the first part of the question. And the second part is, do you think that there's something that the the networks and these broadcasts can do to sort of compensate for that? Yeah,
0: I I think it's I think it's a great question. And um, one, I think it will impact not only the viewing experience, but I think it'll impact the playing experience for the players until they get used to it. I mean, I think that for the first. You know, X number of games are going to be are going to be difficult for them to be like, holy cow, this is weird, right? Yeah, like, and how do you how do you
1: get your how do you get yourself up for that? Right. Like, right. You, yeah, you have a home game. You come flying out of the tunnel and there's 60,000 people, you know, at the top of their lungs. It's it's pretty easy to get jacked up well, for that when you run out. Yeah, and go, I, I, it, there, there's yeah, a no, bird up there it, in 304, you know. <laughs>
0: No, it makes it easier, obviously, to get up for a game when the, when you know that it's going to be a sold-out crowd. But, I mean, ask yourself, as, you know, you coach at the high school level. It's not like you guys are getting, you know, hundreds of people to show up to watch. You get, a, you know, whatever. You get the parents and maybe a few other, you know, sure. fans come out and watch but you're yet your guys you guys get up for the games right because you you know you know sure, what it takes yeah. internally to get ready for it so i think ultimately when it comes down to playing they'll they'll be able to get themselves up to play you know even without the fans but i do agree that it it, it will have a real negative impact on the viewing experience so it's going to be incumbent upon the networks that are broadcasting these games to find a way to enhance that whether that's you know pumping in just crowd just generic crowd noise you know just background noise even though that there's right. nobody in the stands but just kind of that that you know for for a game you're just listening you just got that din of sound maybe they just play that right and yeah okay maybe you don't have the ability to have the cheering fans you know the the crescendo of the oh the you know the passes in the errors the home run gonna go over the wall maybe maybe you don't have that there but at least if you had that sound it'll give the viewer a feeling that there are people there
1: i I also tend to believe that when you first experience it it's going to be more pronounced but that you though it'll always be weird it will you'll begin to adapt to it you know you go okay this is what it is like the alternative is not having sports I do not prefer this but I am willing to accept it and like I think that you just kind of will become acclimated to it at, at some point in, in within the first couple couple viewing experiences. Uh, maybe I, like I have you have you watched like have you watched the Korean baseball league have you watched the KBO yeah, a little bit
0: of it? A little bit of it, yeah.
1: Like I'll be honest with you like I go on Twitter and I'm like oh yo yeah, okay, KBO tonight but like I've only watched uh, like three or four innings of it total, to be honest yeah. with you. I've, I've wagered a couple times on the KBO, but they've been they've been nighttime wagers, you know, where you just go to sleep and see what happens. <laughs> Successfully, um, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you were 4-0, right? I'm, I'm killing it right now, the KBO, so you know what's about to happen there, but... It is weird, like you see the highlights and, and you see the cardboard cutouts and stuff, and you go, "This is this is weird." I mean, it really is.
0: Yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know if we'll go to that. Yeah, I, I would
1: hope that it they it don't it, do the cardboard
0: cutouts. Yeah, no, I think it's a little much. Um, but uh, you no, know, I I do I, I do think that the, it's going to be unique, and I don't know if we'll adapt. I, I'll give you an example. They did. There was an experiment when I was younger. I want to say this was I want to say late eighties. I'm going to guess. I, I could be wrong. It could have been later than that. Um, they tried – I forget who it was, but they tried an experiment where they did – it was a college football game. And they did it without broadcasters. They wanted to see what the viewing experience was like to watch an entire game without broadcasters. And it was awful. Like, you know, you watched and you, you, you know, saw what was happening – but it was just the so it was just so awkward and strange. And even as the whole and it's a three hour game, and even as that game wore on, and you have people in the stands and they're cheering, and the camera angles and the replays, it's all happening. Just no no play by play, no color an- analysis. And you just like this was terrible, and they got—I forget who it was that tried. It was CBS or somebody. They got panned pretty bad. They got dragged hard. For, yeah, I don't remember that. It.
1: That's a little bit before my time, but I don't recall that at all. That that does not sound like a good idea. I'm not sure why that didn't get that didn't get cut before it made it to air.
0: Right. So it didn't. It, so that it never happened again. And so I I think that you're looking at a situation here where, while we might have to endure it. After once or twice, people are going to be so annoyed by it. Be like you got to give me something. You, gotta, yeah, you got to. Yeah. We got to. We got to have something, and that's why I think that you might. You might get the pumped-in crowd noise because I think, I think that the fans won't adapt to it. I don't think that they will appreciate it. They might even turn it off. In all honesty, that's interesting. Yeah. Um
1: I, I guess for the sake of, before we move on to the Phillies, like I, I want to get into the Phillies a little bit, and I, I want to keep this within the hour to hour fifteen range. Um, yeah. We were talking before we came on a little bit about like so, what will the media look like when when covering these games? And <laughs> so you said to me like, "Hey, you, what what's going to happen? Are you going to go down there?" And I'm like, "Well, I, I hope to. You know, I mean that's kind of where my mentality is right now. I don't want to you know take anything for granted here, but I would imagine if the, the media is invited to the games, that I will be. I was I was granted full season." Uh, press credentials this year. And I guess it does kind of remain to be seen what that will look like. I mean, on any given night, there's anywhere between 20 to 40 people, depending on the game, uh, in the the traditional press box at Citizens Bank Park. I don't foresee, even with the the windows open, I don't foresee them doing that. Um, I I don't think that that'll happen, at least in, in the beginning. So like, what's the alternative to that? Do they they space us out in in an upper level? Like, do they do they put us in like section three o four? Like, how how do you do it? You know, like, so and that's that's going to be really interesting. Like, I don't know if they're going to cut down on media allowed there. It's not like that the Phillies. I don't I don't mean this like in an insulting way, but they're not the Eagles. Like, they're not drawing the same amount of reporters. So it's not that many people so uh, it's going to be really interesting to see like do they just kind of spread spread us all out through in in the stands and everybody gets their own section or what
0: yeah um so i would think that at least while there's nobody in the building that you guys could be on that um you know the hall of fame level just completely spread out yeah maybe you know give a box to two or three guys per box and just spread you guys out around the stadium right And, and just put you there and i think you'll be okay I think it starts to get interesting when you're allowed to, if if you're allowed to have a small crowd start to show up, <clears throat> then where do you guys go? Then where do you end up? I um, would think that
1: the the small crowd would coincide with, hey, we can probably put 25 people in the box together, like. Yeah, but
0: they know, would probably still I, need. They would still probably need an auxiliary box.
1: Yeah, they maybe go to like two or three boxes, but you know, thin it out a little bit, but. It, it, You know, I actually, I'm, I'm going to reach out about this in the coming days. I kind of wish I had prior to this just to kind of get a feel, you know, even if it was like an yeah. off-the-record feel, because I have no idea what to expect with that.
0: And uh, I mean, and, and neither do I. Because and not, else, and so- not
1: that, like, the general public really cares. Like, I know the average person listening to this probably does not give a shit where I sit and Scott Lauber sits and Matt Breen sits no. and Todd Zalecki sits, but, like, the way that meet just okay so like from a more macro level like it will be interesting to see how writers cover sports over the next 365 days you know like press availability who's available for what how are we doing our jobs like i do think that's going to be something worth talking about
0: yeah no absolutely and and i think that that's what i was you know you're right i mean people might not care exactly where you sit but they're going to care that you're there that you're covering the games, that you're going to have access to the players, that you can ask questions, that we can have, you know, informed discussions on this podcast. So I think So I think that, that and, there is and, a, a level of care for the fans. You
1: know what's going to be awesome? Like, there's still things to – listen, sports happen. There's things to ask about the game itself. But, like – rather than asking the same shit every game, you know, like, oh, tough one out there last night, like, what happened, you know, or what's Joe Girardi bringing to this clubhouse that, that you just didn't have a year ago? Like, you can only ask those types of questions so many times. And, like, last year I felt like it got old it, with the, the Gabe Kapler 2019 Phillies. Like, it just, there was only so much to do down there at that point. But I think that we're, we're going into this uncharted territory where, like, there's going to be a whole different ball game of questions that can be asked to these athletes and I think there's just going to be so much to, to talk about like I think there's going to be general genuine fan interest of like what was it like playing without fans like what has what impact has this had on the day in day out aspect of things like there I just think that there's going to be a lot of interesting side stories that emerge from this when, when they get going
0: and and I'll tell you what you're right But then those side stories will be annoying as hell after. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, (laughs) yeah, no, yeah. Listen, like, so players are only going to answer that for a week or two. But, like, I do think, like, think about how this is going to go. Like, doors open, nobody's in the stadium. That's one thing. But then, like, the trajectory of the season like as things progress as the world progresses as coronavirus progresses or or you know whatever like there's going to always be some element to add and on to this thing like and and it will get it'll become canned um and it will become annoying but i do think that it it will provide an, another layer to it yeah
0: i agree I agree, and I'm you know. Look, it's going to be interesting. I'll tell you, it'll be interesting for us too, and when, when hockey resumes, to be down there because I'll tell you what, you know, I've been in both the Phillies press box and the Flyers press box. The Flyers press box is far more cramped, not because that there's more people covering it, but just the way that it's that it's situated. Um, we're all in you know basically one row. I mean, yeah, there's a second row above us, but I mean that's not for writers. That's for mostly for scouts and and the like and team employees the press all sits on one row um in and, and i think that you know when you look at the way it's set up for the phillies at least there's several rows there's technically the press box has that second room where you you like to yeah. sit on the other side of that column right there yeah um so like there's you know there's a little bit more space there's the there's box. certain nights
1: where uh you can socially distance in there. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, yes, like you can.
0: You can. You can stay six, seven feet apart from people if you. Yeah. you get creative. So I mean. Yeah, without you know. without issue. So I mean, so I'm curious too, and I have no idea what they're gonna do with hockey. Like, I mean, you know, we prefer to watch the game from above, mm. um, as opposed to down close to the to the ice level, because you could see more happening from up top. Um, but I don't know. Are they gonna spread us around? Are they gonna put us all around the? Because the the one difference is is that you know in, in Wells Fargo Center they re- did all the renovations so that the the whole you know 3 quarters of the upper level now is that that club now like that, right. that you, know, you know, right. that they have up there it's not really conducive for for the media or like a box to sit in and it, like it used to be so um going to be interesting going to be interesting to see it wherever wherever we go whatever sport uh, you know how the media is going to cover it it's going to be an interesting thing
1: all right I I'm with you on that now I guess let's kick it over to the Phillies and I don't want to go too deep into this because there's gonna be a lot of time like if they come back and right now the the idea is we're looking at maybe an early June mid-June spring training uh, likely in uh, home ballparks and then that would give way to a regular season starting in the beginning of July that's the timeline we're being told right now and so let's just assume for the purpose of this conversation that that's what's going to happen we talked a little bit about it earlier in the show you come back to it now the DH what does this mean for the Phillies? You had reached out to me earlier. I'm in total agreement with you. I actually think there's only two guys on this team that are going to take the, the lion's share of, of bats as the DH. and a, One is Jay Bruce, um, and then the other is, is Reese Hoskins. Um, mm-hmm. Do you disagree with that in any, any respect?
0: No, well, no. I, the only thing I would say is this: is that I, you know, the, I I texted that to you that you know Reese Hoskins is now a full time DH. Um, but uh, I, I I really th- you know thinking about it, you know I, I, I th- well I, the reason we talk about this is because now we're saying well, does Alec Bohm make the team? To start I, the I think year? so. I
1: do, I, I, and and I've talked to a couple people that that also believe that as well.
0: Yeah, I think I think he has to because there's not going to be a minor league season, triple A season for him to play right and that would be the place that he would have gone and so rather than burn his age 23 year and say all right well you just sit out and you start next year in triple I think they say well you know bite the bullet give him a shot and play the one thing i could i could see them doing is you know yeah he'll get an odd start here or there but maybe he's the platoon that plays against lefties as a dh
1: yeah i i could see that uh, you know reese hoskins to me they, the Phillies didn't necessarily do right by him, you know. Kicking him out the left field was never a good idea. They bring him back to first base, and he struggled defensively at first base last year. He's not, you know. I li- I like Reese Hoskins a lot, and, and you and I have had conversations about this this element to to things before. Like I like Reese Hoskins as a person. I think he's a good guy. and, Like I don't want to come on here and and be unfair to him, but like he's he's not a good defensive player. And so, like, to be able to get him off the field at times would would be beneficial to the Phillies. Like, I think by nature he is a DH. I think he is a much... Like, I'll say this for him. I think he's a much better hitter than he showed in the second half of last season. Like, I expect a bounce back from him. And I know he struggled in spring training as well. But, like, I still have belief in Reese Hoskins' offensive profile. I don't have as much faith in his defensive profile. I just don't. And so, like... Here's where I wonder, do the Phillies look at the baseball element of it, or do they look at what they, they want Reese Hoskins to be? Like They very clearly want Reese Hoskins to be the face, or one of the faces of the franchise, along with Bryce Harper, certainly, and maybe JT we will see what happens this offseason with his contract. Do you take one of your guys, like one of your core fundamental guys, and... And and I guess Aaron Nola, by the way. But do you take him and say, like, hey, we're going to make you a DH now? Or, like, are you cutting out his legs from underneath of him by doing that? So, like, in best interest of baseball, I I think that Reese Hoskins is a DH. But do they do that to the player and and the person? Like, he was there with his wife at Joe Girardi's press conference. Like, Reese Hoskins matters to the Phillies. So, like, how do you play that? And do you consider the human element of it at all?
0: I think that I think that you know human element is important, and I think that it's probably fortunate for the Phillies that he plays the position where defense is the least important. I mean, um, he was he was bad last year. Uh,
1: d- yeah, I mean, he was I, bad all around. I, he but he needs to,
0: needs to be he he needs to be better. He, there's no doubt about it, he needs to be better. But but when I say he needs to be better, he needs to be better to the point where he's average. He doesn't need to right. be, you know. Uh, you know Travis Lee. You remember Travis Lee, who yeah, <laughs> was a great defensive <laughs> first baseman Couldn't Lee, hit. Yeah. He was a great defensive first baseman. He doesn't need to be that, um, but he could. He just needs to be, uh, you know, a- a- passable, adequate. You know, over there. Um, if he does that, if he's an adequate first baseman, then then yeah, he plays most of the games at first. Um, you know, if you're we're talking an eighty-two game season, if he plays. You know, eighty-two games. You know, let's say he's in the lineup for you know, no injuries. Seventy-nine of the eighty-two, and he plays first base probably sixty-five of those seventy-nine, and DH is the other fourteen. I think that's probably what you're looking at. Yeah,
1: and and I wonder with Alec Boehm. Like I don't expect Alec Bohm to play a lot of third base this year. I think when he gets onto the field, it's it's going to be at first base. Uh, unless Gene Segura stinks. You know, like, I mean, and that's possible. If Gene Segura right. is a player that he was for a couple months in the second half of last year, then maybe the door does open for Alec Boom, especially if he has success early on. But what it does is it does give the Phillies a little bit of added flexibility that they might not have otherwise had, especially in the first half of the season coming into 2020 if things would have gone on as scheduled. So that part of it is interesting. And then the reason why I say Jay Bruce is because certainly his defensive profile isn't, isn't particularly strong at this point. You have Andrew McCutcheon locked in. You assume that he's going to be fully healthy when the season starts and then you obviously have bryce harper in right field i'm i'm still hoping man i i i just i'm a roman Quinn guy i like i believe in the tools i know he gets hurt i know he gets injured um i, I don't believe in adam hazley as much but you still have what amounts to a a two pretty decent options in center field. Like, I don't know if either of those guys is the guy, but together I think that they can give you some quality, you know, plate appearances and and decent defense in center field. So then where does that leave Jay Bruce in the grand scheme of things, assuming everyone stays healthy? That, to me, it opens the door for Jay Bruce.
0: Yeah. And the one other thing is with Bruce is he's – I mean, really, he's your backup first baseman too. I mean – he he can play. He didn't play first base for the Phillies last year because he had such a short tenure with all the injuries. But before he came to the Phillies from Seattle, he played first base. He played first base for the Mets. He played first base for the Reds. Right. So he, he has that in him. So not that he's a great defensive first baseman either, but if you want to give Hoskins a game, you want to keep them both in the lineup and you want to give Hoskins a rest – you can DH Hoskins and put Bruce at first and sure. not have to worry about adjusting the outfield. You could so theoretically
1: also you know, pop Romuto down to first base as well, which brings me to a quick question here, a little over under for you. Over yeah. under 74 and a half games, this is assuming an 82 game schedule, over under 74 and a half games caught by JT Romuto this year.
0: I'll take the under, but only slightly. Okay. It's a good line, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it's probably around 70, 71 that he catches.
1: All right, so one of the things that really annoyed me about the team last year. Like I tried to defend the manager and and you know, I thought he got too much blame all that stuff aside. They were incredibly annoying when it came to playing the Miami Marlins and just bad teams with like low energy situations. And the reason why I mention this is because they're not going to have fans in the stands. And so, like, I texted you earlier, and it was like kind of like a throwaway line in the story I wrote earlier today. But, like, if you want to look at how the 2018-2019 Phillies performed when there weren't really fans in the stands, look no further than their performance against Miami Marlins. And they averaged... 10,015 fans in 2018-2019, but you and I both know there were far less human beings in the stands <laughs> than that number. Uh, and the Phillies sucked against the Marlins, and they really struggled down in Miami. Uh, they were 7-11 and 11 over the last two years combined, 3-6 uh, and six one year, 4-5 and five the other. Do you think that there can be anything said for the Phillies' poor performance against bad teams in, in Empty stadiums against the Marlins. And though I did not crunch the numbers on other teams, I can tell you that this trend holds up against some other pretty shitty squads that don't draw well either.
0: Um, is there something to that? Yes, but I don't think it has anything to do with the number of people in the crowd.
1: You know what? Because I, I totally disagree. You know, this, I think that – I swear to God, I really think that that team last year, like, yes, they struggled in other situations as well, but like, there was something about the identity of that team that they could not get up for those games. Like, they just, it well, didn't yeah, but- matter who they were facing. It was like, we're playing the Marlins. There's nobody here. There's no juice. Like, you, they talk about like how electric Citizens Bank Park is, which, by the way, it's not every night. But like, I just feel like that they, they could not get up for those games, and I do wonder, like, is there any correlation between this team's identity? Because, by the way, yes, they change managers, but it's still pretty much the same team. Is that going to carry over? Like, Um so... Like, that that's all. Like, It's just something that, that though I, I don't necessarily think that you can use this and say that it's going to be a problem this year, it's something that I looked at last year, I noticed it, and I do wonder, like, is there going to be any translation?
0: Yeah, I think – well, so here's the thing. I, I, you're not wrong. I think that there – that that is a, a, a mentality that happens. And I think that when you – but I think that that's more of the team being a little bit too full of itself thinking it was going to be better than it was – thinking, okay, here we go. We're going to go play this bad team. We can kind of coast through this. And just so happens that they have nobody in their ballpark. That's what I'm saying. Like, you know, it it could be an expansion year. It could have been the 1993 Florida Marlins that actually drew pretty well because they were brand new down there, but they sucked. And the Phillies might have still struggled against them even if they had a full house, right? Um and it could have been just because, you know, hey, they had the wrong mentality, wrong approach, and you know, th- does Joe Girardi change that? You hope he does, but I don't know. I mean, you could. This could be something in in the personality of the players that are in that locker room.
1: Yeah, it's it's amazing. I mean, they were 19 games under 500. The Marlins were at home last year, but they were six and three against the Phillies. Like it just it just mind blowing. And I do wonder if the, the professionalism of, of Joe Girardi's clubhouse and you know his uh, coaching staff is going to have an impact on this team. And I do wonder, not just Joe Girardi and his impact, but I also do wonder – does this team kind of realize that it was a disappointment over the last two years? Like, 2018, the Phillies weren't really supposed to compete yet, but they had put together a decent run, and I'll get to that in a minute in, in that first season with Gabe Kapler. And then last year, they came in with a load of expectations and failed to meet them. So, like, is this team going to be more mature because it realizes that it fell short and was so disappointing in the previous two years? And, like, what impact does that have on this team going forward? And so I think that that's going to be a storyline when things rev back up here that's definitely worth keeping an eye on.
0: Well, not only that their schedule just got a hell of a lot tougher (laughs) because if you're playing the American League East now you have a majority of your games are going to be against good teams a majority Um, you know the Marlins still stink but they're improved the Orioles are terrible Toronto probably isn't there yet, but they st- they got a lot of good young talent. Yeah, a lot of young talent. Okay, there. a lot of good young talent, and everyone else is is a competitor. Everyone. Yeah, else. Tampa is Bay
1: is a good team. Boston obviously has uh, some issues there. They're not quite what they were in terms of, of talent. But there's before, a lot, of but talent they're still there. A very good yeah. team. The Yankees and then the Yankees are. Yeah, I mean, they're loaded. And then you look at, and we've talked at length in previous shows about what the Braves can be, what the Nationals can be, and even the, the Mets. And certainly they received some bad injury news there in spring training with with Noah Syndergaard. But I, they, they, I think, still loom large in that division and could be, I don't want to say they're, I don't think that the Mets, after after the Syndergaard injury, are better than the Phillies, and I wouldn't pick them to finish ahead of the Phillies, but they're going to be a problem. Like, they're not a... The Mets, in, in traditional 162-game format, aren't going to be a 70-win team this year. Right. Right. So, so, I look at all of that, and yeah, I mean, th- that is certainly a problem. I, we've, we've talked about this previously, but what impact do you think that the schedule length is going to have on the Phillies? Like... You and I were not really bullish on this team coming into this season in a traditional format. My guess is that the shortened season will allow for, I don't love the word, but I'll use it here parity. Like, I do think that there's going to be a little bit of parity here. And if you look at the 18 and 19 Phillies, which, by the way, I don't think anybody would say were good teams or particularly talented teams. You go back to 2018, August 11th, the Phillies were 65 and 51. And owned a share of first place. And last year, as disappointing as last season was, 38 and 29, 67 games into the season on June 11th, and a share of first place. So, like, when you condense the season down to 82 games, like, you can take inferior teams or teams that maybe aren't as talented as other teams, and it, it creates the possibility for the unexpected to hold up and, and possibly sustain.
0: Not only that, they're adding playoff teams. And you're, then gonna you go to se- you're gonna have fourteen You're gonna have seven teams in the playoffs instead of just five, so it, it's gonna it, you're gonna get a bigger playoff and you're gonna have more parity. Yes, yes, a hundred times yes. So do the Phillies have a better chance? They do. That said, how crucial is the start of the season now? Well, because and
1: and so this is the flip side of it. We can say like teams are able to maybe mediocre teams are able to kind of just you know smoke and mirrors their way th- for 80 games 82 games and 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 finish well the flip side of that is these games all have more importance now so like are there going to be as many throwaway games are teams going to be a little bit more dialed in because they realize that each game carries more weight now and they're more significant
0: so well not only not only that you can't get behind you don't have time to make it up right that's that's what I, that's the other thing so like you know if you get off to your first by the end of July, you've played what twenty eight games. If you're five games under five hundred, you're you're screwed, <laughs> right? I mean, you're just you, you don't have the time to make it up, you know. So that's the thing. Like you you have to be you have to be good right from the jump. And it's certainly possible that it, teams that aren't as talented can be good that quick. Absolutely can happen. But that but it just as easily could happen that a good team gets off to a slow start and just can't recover because they don't have the time to recover.
1: So this all leads to the, the one overarching question that I have about the Phillies going into this season. We would have agreed if, if the season would have started on March 26th that Matt Clentak, this front office, needed this team to make the postseason. The Phillies have not been there since 2011. There is an immense amount of pressure, at least on the outside. I don't know if internally this team's content. I would imagine that the owner that is spending all this money that agreed to trade away its top pitching prospect for for one and a half years or two years of JT Realmuto at the time, Uh, I would expect that the owner wants to win now. Is it fair? if the Phillies do not win, to hold the front office accountable, or do you think that the special and unique circumstances, or to borrow a phrase from every freaking commercial on the on TV right now, during these unprecedented times, <laughs> do you think that it's fair to hold front offices and GMs accountable, and, and specifically Matt Clentac accountable, if this team does not make the playoffs, especially in a 14-team postseason format
0: that's the key that's the key you could almost make an argument to give them another chance not that I would want to but you could always make the argument to give them another chance if they if it was normal format and they just missed you can say well you know we only had an 82 game season we were trending right there at the end of the year we were at a good finish to the season we just missed out you know on the playoffs by a game or two we're in, we're on the right track but if they if they miss the playoffs with the playoffs exp- expanded, there's I think there's even less room for error now. I think the Phillies have to make the playoffs and they have to, I think now they not only do they have to make it, they probably have to win that opening round. Yeah, I mean
1: we're getting into NBA territory here, NHL yeah. territory. Forty-six point six percent of the league makes the postseason. Yeah, if if with their payroll and their expectations of what they were supposed to be when they signed Bryce Harper, traded for JT Realmuto, if they can't make the postseason this year, you can tell me about the special circumstances, unprecedented circumstances. I I just I was stunned, and, and like here's the thing, like I thought that that the blame fell on the manager's shoulders last year when it should have fallen on the general manager that built a flawed product i think it should have fallen equally on the players uh, you know i thought that that clubhouse last year everything got kicked up to the manager to the coaching staff i thought there was a lack of accountability from from media and fans to the players like i didn't think that they were held accountable like, I think it was just, well, you know, the reason why he's not hitting is because of the coaching staff. Not because he's not hitting, but because of the coaching staff. The reason why he's not making pitches is because of the coaching staff, not because he's not making pitches. Like, that, I thought, was, was kind of weak, honestly. I was surprised that us as a fan base, us as a media, allowed that to happen. I think a lot of players got a free ride last year. I really do. I, and and don't get me wrong. Like, I I'm— I've said it before, I'll say it again. Joe Girardi's an upgrade. This coaching staff should be a marked upgrade. I, and I'm not I'm not talking about that, I'm not criticizing that. But I just think that when you evaluated the 2019 Phillies, everything got laid at the feet of the coaching staff where the accountability just seemed to kind of skirt through the front office and seemed to skirt through the players. I don't know how you look at the 2019 Phillies and not hold that GM accountable and how you don't hold that front office accountable. And if you come through this season and you don't make the playoffs and then and, and they talk about... Hey, you know this was a special circumstance, and he's back again next year in 2021. I just, I don't see how you can sell that.
0: No, you can't.
1: I mean, like, am I nuts? Like,
0: no, you're, you're not. You're not nuts. You're not nuts in in the sense that, well, you know, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I, I would have cleaned house completely. I would have cleaned out everybody and brought in a new general manager, new president, new coach, new coaching staff. Like, I. I, I felt I felt like last year was such a disappointment that everybody needed to go.
1: But I, I think that this is something about the Phillies in general. Like I think that they are a loyal, very a loyal, loyal organization. And yes, like they are. I, I guess the way that they see it is like we we see one obvious problem here, and maybe if we can just make this one change and and do as little turnover as possible, like I, my guess is that John Middleton evaluated last season and says like yeah. There is a real possibility that everybody involved in this thing probably should go. But I don't want to do that because that's just not how we're built. That's not what the Phillies are about. So we're going to make the one change, and I'm going to give everyone one more shot to do this. But you better do it. The only thing I'll say about that, as much as I want to believe that that's the the mentality here, their offseason didn't really... It was their offseason off did not mirror one that, that was desperate or urgent. Like I didn't no. see a sense of urgency about the Phillies plan this offseason, which makes me wonder like is there an expectation to make the postseason? Is there an ultimatum? Is there is there a desperation?
0: If, if we do, we do. If we don't, we don't. <laughs> if we don't, we
1: don't, yeah. And I know he'd like to have that one back, but <laughs> I mean that's the answer, right? I mean, to me, that's going to be the thing. Like, yes, the the coronavirus and fans not being in the stands and special circumstances and eighty-two games, like it's all going to be ex- really intriguing. But at the end of the day, we're going to emerge from this, and like we're gonna we're going to get back to what this is. We're going to get back to professional sports and needing to win and people being held accountable and. W- I'm, I'm looking forward to that day because I, I got to be honest with you, Anthony, like there's part of me that feels a little bit cold here, like even suggesting that somebody be held accountable and possibly lose their job if things don't go well five months from now, you know, about a, a season that may may still not even happen. So, like, I, I know that that you could be listening to this right now and going like, oh, man, like he's this is harsh. <laughs> but. I don't mean to be It wouldn't be harsh. an episode of
0: crossed up if it wasn't. Yeah, but
1: like mm. I'm talking about the hypothetical in which this season occurs and this team doesn't make the playoffs of 14 teams. Like I'm looking forward to that day. You know, I, I want to make the playoffs, but I'm looking forward to the day that we can get back to it and say like, "This is no good. We, we've got to do something about this." Yeah. So you know. Yeah. So let me ask you this in closing. Hmm. Um, now that I've laid out this doomsday scenario and what would happen if that were to occur. Philly's making the playoffs. Fourteen teams this year.
0: Yeah. At AL East is pretty tough. And AL East is pretty tough. You know, so I mean, I I haven't had a real opportunity to look at, you know, like because now Thanks I think you, you look at the NL Central now, and you, they're going to play the weaker AL Central, which they would not instead of playing. The good teams in the NL East and the NL right, West, right? right so right. the NL Central suddenly becomes a better division. Milwaukee was already good. The Cubs were already good. The Reds were on their way. The Cardinals are always the Cardinals. That becomes a good, div- really good division, right? Um,
1: I, it's t- it's a tough. <laughs> call. All right, so let me, let's just do this real quick. So you got the Yankees in the postseason? Yes. Okay, you got Tampa Bay.
0: Probably yes.
1: They won ninety six games last year. You got Tampa Bay? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Boston,
0: mm, no.
1: Okay, all right. Minnesota, yes. Yeah, Cleveland,
0: no. Wow.
1: All right, so okay, right there, we could just stop the exercise. Do you, you have?
0: I like the West. I like the AL West this year. Okay. I like. Right. Uh, well, I think Houston's so, going to get so in Houston, as much as I hate Oakland. them. Oakland, you like? I think the, you got the really Angels good. on a bounce back this yeah, year. Yeah, I think the Angels are in.
1: All right, so let's go to the NL, right? Yeah. Um,
0: Atlanta? Yes.
1: L- let me ask you the yes-no. As it, uh, Do you have them ahead of the Phillies? We'll do it that yes. way. So Atlanta? Yes. yes. Washington? Yes. The New York Mets?
0: No, not anymore. I mean, I yeah. did with Syndergaard. That, okay, so anymore. you got
1: two teams ahead of them right now, the St. Yeah. Louis Cardinals.
0: That's a tough one. That's a tough one. See, I, I say I'm going to say yes because I think they're going to have a better record because they have a weaker schedule. The yes. Milwaukee Brewers. Yes.
1: The Chicago Cubs.
0: Yes. Are you like the Cubs more than the Phillies right now?
1: I don't know I, if I, I'm on board with that.
0: Again, look at who they're going to play. I know. Yeah, I know. They're I know. going to play yeah. six games against Detroit, six games against Royals, the Royals. Six. Okay. Games against, I mean, Chicago's All right. All right. getting Fine. better, but they're not great. <laughs> okay,
1: so that's five teams. And then the Dodgers. Well, Wait, hold on. So you got the Reds. You said they're up and coming. I don't have the Reds. I don't have the Reds ahead of the Phillies yet. All right, so you got the Dodgers. That's six. And then 7th
0: the team do you have the Padres Rockies Giants or Diamondbacks ahead pa- of the Phillies <laughs> Padres and the Diamondbacks are right there I mean like that's why I think that the God, Phillies that's are a going hell of a
1: leap though that's a hell of a leap for the Padres going from 70 wins to uh you know leapfrog in the but Phillies It's an 82 boy. it's an 82 yeah, yeah. game I know, season I know I know
0: That's what I'm saying So like I like I look at it and I say they're going to be in the mix Yeah they should get in But
1: I uh, listen I don't know. I'm going to tell you something I'll just close on this Parting thought: I thought that that Bryce Harper was headed for a top five MVP, you know, finish in the in the National League. Like I thought, that's where he he'd be. And I think that, uh, yeah, it's hard to to know how these players are going to perform. Like I actually do think, and this is one thing that, that we overlooked tonight, but one thing that I think is going to go a little bit overlooked in the coming weeks. Like there are going to be really good players that just don't don't perform well this year. Like they that. You'd like to think the talent stands up, but this disruption to the to the season, to the schedule, to the flow, to the training—like there yeah. are going to be players that just have bad years. That that you would not expect players to have bad years. But that being said, like I just think that Bryce Harper. I thought Bryce Harper was going to be poised for a monster year. I I, I believe that he's still going to have that year, though abbreviated. I, I think the Phillies get in. Like, I, I actually would say, if if we just said, and I know divisions matter, but if we were just going 1-7 to seven hierarchy here, I think the Phillies will slot in, like, the 5. I, I look at them as 7-8. It's interesting. It's yeah. interesting. Well, leave it to you to be pessimist.
0: <laughs> leave it to you to be the pessimist. I, I think each of the last two years I predicted them to win more games than you. Yeah. Doesn't matter. <laughs> and you were closer to the final yeah, number. I know. Both I know. times. Yeah. <laughs>
1: It's just tough, man. You go down there, and you're like, God, I'm watching this team, and I go, God, this team just isn't very good. This isn't a very good team. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't. I really don't know. But it'll be interesting, and I'm, I'm looking forward to the prospect of, of getting to talk about what a season might look like, and as we reach. As we reach the midpoint of May, hopefully we get a green light on this season. I don't expect talks this week, and and God, I've been wrong before, and I hope I'm wrong here, but I don't expect uh, this thing to be wrapped up by tomorrow night like, oh, yeah, there's a season. You said it earlier. I think we're in for a, a bumpy couple of weeks here with uh, some reports being leaked that there's not going to be baseball. And, and the, you know, I think we're going to see some, we're going to be on a roller coaster the next few, uh, at least the next week or so. Yeah. But I ultimately expect that, that we'll arrive at the point where, where things get off the ground here and we have a spring training or something that looks like a spring training in, in mid June and, and we're playing baseball come Independence Day. God, I
0: hope so. So do I. So do I, Bob.
1: All right, man. Well, great talking to you, and uh, I guess uh, we should do this again soon. Hopefully baseball gives us a reason to. Yes. And that's going to be the key component here. I don't want to make any promises on air. We've broken these promises before, but... Yeah. Uh, what do we got across the uh, Crossing Broad Network? I hear that there's one podcast on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network right now that, that's doing particularly well. You want to talk about that at all, real quick? Before is we there? Get out of here? Wh- which yeah. one
0: is that? It, is like that top a ten?
1: Top ten hockey podcast in the <laughs> United States right now? Is
0: well, it, 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 today it dro- it's down a little bit lower than okay, that, but on yeah. Thursday last week it, it was. You know, because it's uh, Chartable does the charts based on um, traffic for the day. But uh, on last Thursday, which was great because it was three days after we released the Peter Luco podcast uh, on Snow the goalie, we were the fifth ranked uh, hockey podcast in America, um, number one among local podcasts. The four ahead of us were all national. Can, can I just give you
1: guys a tip? You know, as a as a listener, as a fan, yeah, you might want to work on getting some better guests. <laughs>
0: Thanks. But uh, but no, we've been doing great. It's been doing really well. Um, we just dropped a new episode uh, today, Monday the 11th, with uh, Stanley Cup winning coach Craig Berube a um, big deal. as a guest. And so I, I expect over the course of the next three days we will be back uh, near that uh, in that top 10 ranking as well. Uh, and we announced on the podcast that uh, our next guest uh, next week, which we're actually uh, recording this week, but it'll come out next Monday, uh, is former Flyers coach Ken Hitchcock. Uh, which will be a fun one, too, because he he had some really good teams and coached some really good players. He also won a Stanley Cup, not in Philadelphia, uh, as a coach, Uh, so that'll be great to catch up with Hitch uh, as well. So, yeah, that show's uh, doing pretty good, I'd say. It's good
1: to hear. You have uh, it's always soccer in Philadelphia with Kevin Kincaid, and uh, I don't even know. I mean, honestly, I think that that's kind of where we're at. We have obviously Crossing Broadcast that makes an occasional appearance, but we've uh, been away from that for a while. There's rumors that there's going to be a show this week, but believe
0: it when I say it. Well, you got to you got <laughs> to remember that russ is the guy who kind of like drives that engine right yeah
1: has he got anything going on right now yeah
0: he's a little busy you know <laughs> <laughs> he had, just had a third kid yeah, he right? just had his
1: third child he's like 17 years old and he has three kids so <laughs> it's, it's amazing he's taking it's the route that i took man yeah. you, guys you know, know
0: my third kid was born when i was 27
1: it's amazing <laughs> it's amazing i'm 34 and i'm like oh <laughs> got married last year so that's yeah good.
0: there you go you're on your way
1: All right. Well, there you go. Yeah, so uh, there is a shot that that happens tomorrow night. We'll see. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. Uh, For Anthony Sanfilippo, I'm Bob Wankel. This is Crossed Up, and we hope to be talking to you soon.